Hello everybody, it's Lou Zan from Major Crush. Welcome to season two, and I'm here with my partner. Meredith Griffin, and we are here at Christopher Creek looking out over their beautiful vineyard here in Russian River. It's a beautiful sunny day. You can hear birds chirping, hear that, that fountain in the background with the water. I mean, what a great day to be out here visiting with you guys at your winery. Again, thanks for having us come back. I don't know, Meredith, there's nothing better than hanging out with some buddies and going deep into concepts and things that are unique up here in the wine country. It is, just to talk to winemakers and to really know that there's such a sense of family and community in the in the winemaking arena. I think it's just really nice and just, I mean, it's what time of day and we're having a little glass of wine, a little bit of cheese that they've provided. And I don't, I can't think of any two buddies that exemplify it better or more than the Fapoli brothers. Yeah, today, yeah. no, absolutely not. And today we're really grateful because we, last time you got to hear from Joe, but today we have his brother also joining that we heard a few stories about in our last podcast. But Mayor now we- Dominic is in the house. Yeah, but now we get to actually hear from him. So thank you again Thanks. to both of you for our your pleasure. time. It's truly a pleasure. Meredith and I, man, we have not been able to stop talking about this Chardonnay. This, we had to come back for more of this. <laughs> so, that's really what we're doing. We're, we're the... Uh, Let's just Fipoli, be honest. We're a little selfish here. <laughs> the Fapoli Chardonnay hose, and uh, we're, uh, we're addicted to this. This is absolutely top two Chardonnays I've ever had in my life, and it may be the, the best, um, but, I can, you know, it gets blurry there at the top. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was telling them the story. Meredith and I, uh, she was in town during the college playoffs mm -hmm. and we started she and I started a bottle uh, of this because we had just done the interview with them earlier that day that right? day yeah the, the day before the day before, the day yeah. before yeah and so we, we were having friends over to the house <laughs> and I noticed that Meredith and I had the bottle over by us we weren't sharing it very <laughs> and we, openly and it's the first time I've ever done that it's like I am not sharing this Chardonnay you guys go drink anything over there on the on the counter that you want. No, so I, guys, cheers to this Chardonnay. Cheers, man. Great and just job. as a reminder, if you didn't hear our first podcast, it's your 2014 Russian River Valley Chardonnay, but it's not under the Christopher Creek label, I think, just in case someone didn't hear the first episode. Yes, it's under our Fapoli family label, and 100% uh, of the fruit comes from our family's vineyard on Slessor Road by the Sonoma County Airport. It's grown literally outside of my, my brother and I's childhood bedroom windows, yes. which is, is where our, uh, our parents still live there. That's really special. And uh, that's, that's we, you know, we're very typical Italians where all four of us, you know, have, have our own places and the, of the kids, but we all live within 10 minutes of home, and, mm -hmm. and it's always uh, a great time with, with the, the kids and the grandkids and our parents to get together. And yeah, we want to talk about that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little pitch here. <laughs> if anybody wants to really, truly taste what a Chardonnay grape tastes like, and not go into the butter, not go into this cream, not go into all these other things that we've experienced, you have to try this Chardonnay. Now, Agreed. let's get into cool family stuff. You guys have a fascinating mm -hmm. family and legacy, and that's unique, mm -hmm. you know? And um, as we go through some of these wines, uh, needless to say, my head jerked back when you shared with me where you source some of these grapes because nobody gets these grapes. Yeah, it, It's really, really unique. And, and to kind of to go back to the, the story of, 
of why this is such a to start with this is such a special wine for my brother and I and for my whole family is so uh, I think my brother probably mentioned in the last time that uh, you know we're the fourth generation in our family to do this in this country our great-grandfather and then our grandfather and then our father being a grower but for 70 plus years we were just growers so my brother and I grew up in the vineyard but and we would help out, but we would sell the grapes to other other wineries. Mm -hmm. So it was really, honestly, um, my brother and I working in hospitality. We were both working at a local restaurant in Healdsburg called Dry Creek Kitchen. Mm -hmm. I was waiting tables, mm -hmm. and he was he was the, behind the bar managing. And we decided that we wanted uh, to to do a wine again. It had been more than seventy years since we'd produced our family produced a commercial wine. So for that first year, though, uh, I mean, be completely honest. We didn't have a, a huge. We didn't have a marketing budget. We didn't have a mm -hmm. big. We didn't have a production facility, and so the only competitive advantage that we had was was essentially being able to to grow and then choose the the best grapes from our vineyard. And we could only afford to do one wine that first year, oh, so wow. and it was this wine. So this is the first oh, wine we ever this made. Is yeah. The first? Yeah. Okay. This is the origin of uh, the modern era. And it so it's a good. Yeah, we were trying to obviously differentiate from the stereotypical California mm -hmm. Chardonnays. We want to showcase the vineyard. We did very really low yields, yeah. uh, but we also wanted to do something that was like you said, a true expression of the vineyard. Mm -hmm. So uh, all 100% stainless steel, no malolactic fermentation, uh, wild yeast for the most part, just the native yeast, uh, which you guys did a little follow up on mm -hmm. a, a, about as well, and. Um, you know, now it's become more in vogue, and I'm going to say that certain cult wineries in our area have, have may or may not have copied us, but uh, yeah. but it's become a little more popular. Well, they're still, crazy this is something very different. I will yeah. say that. They're crazy if they don't. And I think we did a podcast talking about, you know, there's so many people out there who come up here and say ABC, anything but Chard. They don't mm -hmm. want the Chardonnays. And we tried, to, in that podcast, we tried to enlighten people about how Chardonnay, what it really tastes like. and how the changes and I would say this is exactly what we're talking so about. So unique. That's this is exactly if you want to know what a Chardonnay tastes like going back to that this is this is the one to do. The, the kind of funny story about just being completely honest of how this worked out is uh, people ask how did you know that the next big trend would be ultra premium opus Chardonnay like how did you pick that the reality is my brother and I were working at a restaurant we couldn't afford oak barrels <laughs> that's right <year. laughs> that's the reality yeah, yeah. And, and and so I had my kids all the way and I was a high school teacher during the day and working the restaurant the right a $1,400 barrel yeah. I don't think so. so our only way to really stand out with our first vintage was to make sure that we had perfect grapes and then we had you know essentially perfect technique for taking those grapes and, and letting it naturally turn into to, to what the Oakland Chardonnay became so <laughs> while we would love to take credit for <laughs> being purposeful trendsetters the reality is that we were <laughs> we were because of that we were the first ones to, to really introduce a high-end uh, stainless steel Chardonnay in the California market and uh, we were then shortly uh, I think followed after by Lioko and, and William Selliam and, and a few others but uh, for us, it was uh, a beautiful serendipitous accident of not yeah. having enough money for hooks. Well, right. And they were saying, so. is adversity is the mother of invention? Yeah, yes. I was just uh, thinking that exact quote, yes. So this is, this is really kind of uh, what started it all, though. So it's a very, very special wine for us um, from, from both a quality standpoint, but also from part of our, our family story. Now, looking forward 14 years later, we're making 40-plus different wines. Uh, but it all started with uh, with this one small, Chardonnay. One Chardonnay. One Chardonnay. Yeah. That was your yeah. very first one. Wow. What does it mean, you guys, when you see Fapoli on the label? Yeah. It's pretty cool, and honestly, the the 
when our at the time 90 something year old grandfather got to see that and our family oh, our, our family crest on here as well which goes back to, to northern italy and, and uh, more than 500 years ago uh it was kind of pretty cool to continue the legacy and the fact that we get to tell our family's story and history uh, mm -hmm. on, a daily, on a daily basis. Yeah, it's yeah. We're something we're very proud of. Remind me, did the, this label, obviously it was the first one you made, what, what differentiate you going from this to making, changing it to the Christopher Creek label? So we, we started Fapoli in, mm -hmm. uh, in about 2006 and then um, added Benevolo a few years after that. And then those two brands essentially purchased Christopher Creek. I see. Uh, okay. About eight years ago, seven and a half oh, years ago. Yeah, that's the transition. Yeah. Okay. So Christopher Creek's been around since the early '70s, and we took over in late 2012. All right. So, just to go back a little bit to the story, uh, our grandfather was, was 90 years old when we started decided to kind of do wine again in the modern era and uh, I'll be honest he was somewhat skeptical of it I mean he was a very kind of uh, hard-working conservative uh, business person who built up everything he'd had over over decades and decades and decades so initially being a little bit skeptical but you know, this is something that we felt strongly about doing as a, as a family uh, business our father uh, raising us on the vineyard and, and him being very much the farmer and my brother and I being really into the wine side. And fast forward a few years later, when we had, uh, I remember very distinctly, it was probably one of the most impactful and, and emotional things I'd ever heard somebody say to us. So he was, was a big uh, wine club event, a bunch of what we call our wine family, and not one of, for what we call our club members. And he saw these people from all over the country enjoying the wine with our, our last name on it and our, mm -hmm. our family crest on it. And, you know, he kind of turned to us and he said, how proud my father would be of you. Aww. And like to hear that from wow. your 90 year old grandfather was is just huge. And so That's it is, sick. my brother and I take it very, very seriously. This is such a family legacy for mm -hmm. us. And to think of our great grandfather and our grandfather and our father. And now well, even my brother's children and, and our sister's kids that all love the, the, the idea of running around the vineyard as well. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's truly it's a generational piece for us. Yeah. Are you, I mean, I assume you're hoping you're the generations that come will want to continue to yeah definitely make wine. And we we try to instill that we i mean obviously we're going to leave it open to whatever they're of interested course, in but of course. um <laughs> but, but you know it's it's the legacy is definitely very important to us and even from the early days of our Fapoli family uh Fapoli wines um, one of the wine club perks was to go visit our family in northern italy even before we had the the castle and all the now we you know got all the different trips and options and experiences the, over there but um, we had some people even the first couple years that would just show up and we literally just had them stay in our little humble family home up there in mm -hmm. northern Italy and and had amazing experiences and so we're continue to expand on that and yeah. and take it a step further and with all the the experiences we've had in, in Italy now as well that we could, we've discussed in the past well, yeah. we get to have more fun now because we have so many more wines which now we're getting into yeah the other day at the <laughs> winemaker's lunch, though, uh, you guys brought the bottle of Nouveau uh, Pinot. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I called, I picked the phone up at the lunch and called Meredith, and I go, my gosh. No, he, he, true, true story. I mean, <laughs> guys, when you taste this, I mean, call it a rosé type or style. It, or it's, it's, so it's inspired it's by, by the, you know, in, in France doing the uh, Beaujolais Nouveau. Nouveau. It's, it's, the, a, yeah. it's a yeah. wine that's meant to be drunk very young uh -huh. uh, and it came just again because 
in 2018. One of our vineyards had about a ton extra fruit than we expected, and okay. we're looking for something fun to do with it. We already had a rosé, uh, and so our winemaker that first year, um, I said, we, we talked jokingly about doing a, you know, a Beaujolais Nouveau-style uh -huh. wine in the past. Uh, so that first year, we did 100% uh, carbonic maceration. Okay. Um, our winemaker literally and the assistant just literally put the wines in a bin, uh, covered it and sealed it, full whole cluster, 100%, mm -hmm. uh, and literally with the forklift every day, picked it up, kind of turned it over back and okay. forth a few times. Uh -huh. So it kind of <laughs> would, would get more skin contact uh, with the juice. I uh, did that for there. about uh, five days a week and then did uh, one-year-old oak barrels for a few months and then uh -huh. bottled it. And so it was ended up being a very unique wine, and, and unique. Uh, we I've had never Pino, had anything like Pinot Noir. Grapes, Pinot Noir, yeah. We did forty something cases last year, forty something cases again this year. We haven't uh, bottled it, or we haven't released it yet. We bottled the twenty nineteen, the twenty eighteen. When will it be released? Do you think? Uh, it'll be released sometime in the spring. It's we try to do that along with the rosé, and then okay. um, some days, some years we have a sparkling wine as well. Uh, and it's uh, just kind of a we have, we do a, a fun event on the deck here. Uh, you know, we've got a big rosé release party and mm -hmm. we usually have a hundred plus people show up and we'll have live music and That's everybody cool. wears pink and... Oh, I uh, love it. Yeah. Occasionally people, some people might jump in the pool, yeah. but... Oh. <laughs> yeah, they're not the weather, yeah. That sounds like a but good no, party. we have a lot of fun. Yeah. Great. Well, let's talk about a couple of your other wines. Sure. Yeah. What do you want to start with? Mm -hmm. So I think the, the first wine to, to show is uh, we're going to let to, to pour you through a number of our Pinot Noirs. And Pinot Noir is so important to my brother and I because growing up growing up here in Windsor is that the fact is that we're in, we're in the heart of the Russian River Valley. And mm -hmm. of course, Russian River is known for Chardonnay, but arguably even more so, we're known for Pinot Noir. Yeah. And because of the, the obviously, the, the fog coming in every night and covering our vineyards and, and not burning off until late morning, it's a perfect cool climate. Uh, atmosphere along with uh, the perfect combination of soil and, and topography for really unique, really high quality Pinot Noirs. So the first one that we're pouring is the Bacigalupi and we've known the Bacigalupi family uh, pretty much our entire lives. Sure. <laughs> and that's <laughs> pretty famous. So, so the, the competitive advantage that we have and, and this is uh, including our partner Liam is that we all we all went to, to school with each other, we all hung out, we grew up in these vineyards and our family being around this area for the last hundred plus years is that we know not only the best vineyards for Pinot Noir, but we know where the best blocks in each of those vineyards mm -hmm. are because we grew up drinking wine but of them. Like well before we were old enough to drink wine, we were drinking Pinot Noir. You know the specific yeah, but I'm gonna, area. I'm going to tell you something more unique. Nobody gets Bache Galupe. Yeah. I mean, she's 86 years old. By the way, guys, Bache Galupe is the are the grapes that were in the um, Chateau Montalena wine in 1976 at the famous Judgment of Paris. That little $8 bottle of wine beat out a $450 bottle of Montrachet to be ranked number one in the world. And uh, these grapes are famous, world famous, literally. But I think that speaks to a little bit what we love to talk about in wine country. It's the relationships that you build, especially for those of you who have grown up here and been a part of it. You you are able to have, I'm sure, have grapes like that because mm -hmm. of your the network and the relationships that you have here. I feel like that's a strong... It's, it's so much more than marketing, too, because it's, it's funny is that people around the country think of the, uh, they see the vineyard name and they, they think of the wine, but we think of the families and the mm -hmm. fact of knowing that... Sure. 
our grandparents and parents knew each other. Liam loves to joke, joke about so the two uh, twin grand, I'm not whatever I'm spilling some some gossip here, but <laughs> uh, the, two, the twin granddaughters, Katie and Nikki. Uh, one of them was was Liam's first girlfriend. In oh, that's high. right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I may have had a little bit of a history in college with one of them. And, you know, we're still <laughs> may we're or may not have. We're still both girls are married with kids now. Yes, yeah. Yeah. we're still very very close friends, and so that's funny for us. It's not a grower winery relationship. It's a friendship. It's a long time family connection, and and the fact is, when it's it's time to like time to harvest and we're making the wines. We, you know, we go out there and we visit with them in the vineyard, and they come over and we hang out, and it's we're all so close. We hang out at, at different local events and charity events, and you know, Russian River Valley winemaker, wine grower, mixers, and and everything mm-hmm. else. So it's it's a very familiar relationship. And when we first got the fruit in 2013, um, it was because they we were just starting to make Pinot the year before, and they had a little bit of extra fruit in 2013, and while they liked us and they gave us a great deal that first year on on the pinot um they wanted to to show what have us prove ourselves for a couple years before we could use use the name yeah Yeah. Yeah. so we we called it the west side pinot the first couple years they're on west side road eventually uh represent they got to taste it and it passed through their you know their master psalm that they they hire to to taste through all the Mm. the wineries that they sell their grapes to to make sure they can use the name yes so this is our 2017, so all four wines, and I don't think we tried 2017s last time you guys are here, so no, this is we're trying a kind of a wow. little bit of a horizontal of four different 2017 single vineyard pinots today. That oh, this, this fruit like just candy. jumped out at me, and the me fruit flavors in that. Freaked I just took that, out. I was like, wow, I had to, that, this is really, really good. Huge, huge flavor in this. And the and color you're pairing is it. You would, Tell us about the pairing here. What do you have here? Well, we like to showcase all of what our you know local area has to to offer, and uh, we've got a little bit of uh, Columbus salami, um, a little bit of uh, rustic bakery, uh, rosemary crackers, some uh, Laura Chanel herbed goat cheese, and then uh, the Estero Gold uh, Valley mm. Ford uh, Creamery mm. cheddar yeah. there as well. Wow, so good. Speaking of this beautiful platter of you know, food that you put out, I think that you talk about the Italian heritage, and I always feel, in my experience of visiting Italy and my friends are Italian, when you go to their house, there's plenty of food and they want you to eat. It's an insult not to eat, so I assume that's part of what you do. And we say, you know, here, not every time you go somewhere in California to do wine tasting, the people put food out, but you guys are really unique. So how much do you think it's def- part of it? definitely part of our our heritage and our tradition we grew up uh, with you know big family meals with long tables and plenty of food everywhere Um, our grandmother uh, who you know we're very close with we would show up at any wee hour of of the night and she'd have a whole pot of (laughs) pasta boiling and (laughs) we might have had a bunch of some friends that came over and and shown up at you know Midnight or three o'clock in the morning or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you want food, playing, a, playing basketball all night, yeah, exactly. and showing up. And, yeah. and that was the difference for us too. Is that it, you know we love putting food out, but it's something that like my brother said we grew up with. I mean, if mm-hmm. our father was here today, he'd be running into the the winery kitchen and throwing on the the, the water to make some pasta mm-hmm. or some risotto or something. And and for for us, it's part of the Italian culture. It's the food and the wine. And there was never a meal where there was 
just enough food for the people who are planning on being there. Because yeah. you always, it's such a, it's so ingrained for us that if anybody's around, you immediately welcome them in. Yeah. And, and, and it's, you feed them. You feed yeah. them, <laughs> and the wine part. So I remember as a kid, because uh, if we're going to be completely honest, my brother and I have been enjoying wine with our family since we were children. And that's both an, an We drank a lot of Italian wines from a young age as yeah, well. It, that's in America and, and yeah. our summers in Italy with our grandparents. Yeah. And one of my favorite things I started doing, uh, I was probably nine or ten, <laughs> is that, and it really began, uh, it kind of helped just to learn about the process of wine, is that uh, after breakfast was finished at nine o'clock, <laughs> ten o'clock in the morning, I would run over, and it's in Italy, I'd run over to the, you know, our garage cellar. And I'd pick the two bottles of wine that we're going to have at lunch and open them because knowing that we wanted to let them let oh, open good. up oh, for, wow. for two hours. And that's something that my brother and I were doing as children. Uh-huh. Like, all right, here's the, here's the two. <gasps> what are we having for lunch? And then we'd go grab the bottles out of the cellar oh. that, that would pair well with that. And then we would yeah. open them early and so that they'd be perfectly ready by the time the everybody's food and wine down. pairing started very, very young for <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> so that was in, that's interesting. So in Italy, uh, do they encourage pairing differently than over here? It, well, it depends. So it's so Europe, Europe in general. And I guess my my only criticism of of the European process is that they become very regional specific. Mm. Uh, specific. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, um, and it's all about what's grown in that region. And in California, we're we're blessed with diversity, especially Sonoma County. Yes. We're blessed with such diversity. That's that we, a great point. We have. I mean, I think that I was reading recently that we have more diverse soil types in Russian River than in all of France. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. such a big difference. So we can grow so many things well, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, that would be the only issue. And my family, being Italo-Americano, you know, Italian Americans, you know, we would always have other stuff in the cellar over there as well. But uh, I mean, that's th- that's the only difference is the mm-hmm. Italians are always trying to kind of, in your in French and Spanish, trying to fit the food to go with the wine. That's of that region yeah, and, and specific to that where region. we, you know, we're trying to fit the wine to go with the food. And uh, mm-hmm. isn't your family from predominantly Piedmont? Uh, uh, no, Lombardese, so it's north central. So, so just, just east of what region Piedmont. would that be? Lom- Lombardia. 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 Yeah, okay. The Lombard region, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say. Uh-huh. You, f- you fly into Milan and you <laughs> go north. So we're, we're just north of Lake Como. So mm-hmm. in the, the valley of the Italian Alps up mm-hmm. there. So the north yeah. central. And we're 99% Nebbiolo in that, in that region. Mm-hmm. So the, the, f- the foods are much more hearty up there. It's a lot of buckwheat flour and, and uh, mushrooms Cream and sauces things. maybe? No, no, that's that's a little bit further south. Well, except for Pizzoccheri, I guess. So we, we have a very unique cuisine, and, and that's actually one of the things that we love to, that we get to do now with our property over there is that when we bring people over, we love bringing our, our wine club family and our customers over. We do these summer trips every year. Uh, our cuisine is is really unique compared to the rest of Italy. Because our valley, uh, you know, just again, the, the history, the honest history of, of our, our area, uh, you know, at one point we were Swiss, at one point we were Aus- Austrian, oh. Napoleon conquered our area, oh, so, so we literally have the, in, the influence of French, yeah. Austrian, Swiss, yeah. Italian, oh, oh, uh, wow. all, all there. So yeah. when you hear our dialect, which we grew up speaking Italian in our dialect, it's closer to French and German than it is Italian, and so it's literally this beautiful mix of like these hearty mountain foods and, and also, you know, risotto that we have from Milan and, and, and all kinds of other well, stuff that we would never eat here. <laughs> One of the neighboring villages, we, we, uh, we give them a hard time. <laughs> You're really going to talk yeah, about I'm that? Talk about <laughs> <laughs> during special festivals, their, their, their dish of choice, and they're right across the valley from us, is called carne crudo di asino, which is literally raw donkey meat. 
So they ground up. Wow. It's always been on my, yes. on my bucket wow. list. And by the way, that pairs tremendously well with an SWL. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, it's. I'll keep that in the so back of my All, all the other villages make fun of God, that. The village other morning for it, I woke up craving raw donkey meat. Yeah, it's like oh. it's amazing. All right. Well. You might lose some listeners with that one, but. Yeah. So. <laughs> Is there, I'll just segue to a different question now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. Quit, thank you. Is that region known to make a white wine, or are they predominantly red wines? Uh, actually, na- the word Nebbiolo, during once again, 99% Nebbiolo, yeah. but uh, a lot of people don't realize, but if you, uh, you can, Nebbiolo is light enough. Nebbiolo Branca. Yeah, yeah, you can make a white yeah. wine out of it. So okay, as long so as you immediately separate it from the skins, and that's something, I mean, let's be honest, my brother and I went from one to 40 wines in less than 15 years, so... We will probably make a white Nebbiolo at some point. That's what I was going to ask. Are there any other, and I know we're going to get into some Italian varietals, but uh, outside I know you make the Nebbiolo now and you have a Dolcetto. Are there any Italian wines you haven't made yet that you feel here in Northern California you think you could? We're going to get into that, but we have to drink more Pinot. Okay, well, all right, twist my arm. this next wine then we're going to get ready to drink. So as the crow flies, this is probably only about a mile away from the Bochkalibu Vineyard, but it's literally across the Russian River on the east side of the river. Um, and we call this our east side. <laughs> yeah, we got That's west side, east, east side. side. We're represent. I think you heard from um, our partner, my brother-in-law, uh, Liam, about uh, his connection with this vineyard. Uh, Amazing. The Ketchum Vineyard. So I was shocked when, when he told me that what he was pouring to my people that I, my guests that I had brought. So yeah, share with us. Mark Ketchum uh, was a grower for years. He used to sell his fruit um, to Costa Brown uh, and then also to William Sullivan for their yeah. east side neighbors. And Michael Brown of Costa Brown was the uh, winemaker originally uh, for the Ketchum Estate uh, wines as well. And so this is a, again a 2017. And even though it's, like I said, just probably less than a mile as the crow flies, it's a completely different wine. Different soil, a little bit different angle of the sun. The block that we get from the Bachigalibu Vineyard that we tried before is uh, on the riverbank side of uh, West Side Road. And this is on the hillside opposite the uh, the river on the east side. Yeah, but there's going to be a similar kind of thing, though, because it's a really close family relationship between us and, and the Ketchums. And we, our staff will go over, you know, we, their whole, um, you know, our family team mainly, and 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 Mark Ketchum. You, you like to you like to throw it in. Well, we agree to buy a certain amount of tons, but he also has to have a, a pizza party we, for we our staff. We literally put that in our handshake for the grapes every year, <laughs> that because because uh, Mark has got this amazing pizza oven. He's great at making pizzas above the vineyard, and so part of our our handshake contract is that. Every year, he'll uh, fire up the pizza oven, and our, our whole team will go over, <laughs> and we just eat, you know, amazing pizzas over the vineyard and enjoy the wines. And uh, we go to so they're they're part of our, our group. They're the other one of the other hosting wineries. When we go to Europe this summer, so uh, you know their wine family and our wine family, and we spend two weeks all together in in Italy and around the Mediterranean. And it's it's so much more than a business relationship mm-hmm. because. We're, we're close. We're yeah. Like, we're like family with them. Well, yeah. I, I imagine that's the only reason you get them because there's some arguments that could say this is one of, you know, you don't want to call the top in the world. DRC gets right. all the credit. But when you're talking Costa Brown and William Sellem with 100 points on these wines, yeah. they're, they're the, the best in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This juice that's is unbelievable. Yeah. 
So for us, it's it's phenomenal, and 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 the the really unique part and the, the amazing part for us is that it's a great wine, but it doesn't take away from the Bocciolupi we just had. They're so no, unique they're and different. Very As we different. go through the, the the other two wines that we're going to try too, is that we're not trying to make any of these wines better than the others. They're just different. Different. And they, um, and they go well with different kinds of foods and and depending on what you feel like in the evening. And so for us, it's just to really showcase the, the vineyards. And but I'll also grant you, to me, Meredith, the tannins are, are, are very similar mm -hmm. in both these that we've tasted. The acidity is, is also very bright, but it brings out what's the dream, and that's called the terroir. Yep. There, yeah. What I've noticed you guys' style is to allow the terroir to come fully mm -hmm. through, no. and then you don't have to worry. Yep. And that's you know, what it creates is uniqueness. Yeah, and I think that speaks to being able to make, do a horizontal of four different Pinot Noirs. They're all different. You're highlighting the terroir that's unique to each of these yeah. regions. And I think what would be f for fun for people that love to taste wine or people who are nerds like me, like to be able to identify really some of the really unique characteristics that you get. And it really makes you have to be super very mindful of what you're drinking and what, mm -hmm. what are you liking and what aren't you liking in the wines I've so okay, I'm going to coach everybody right now in a great party. You <laughs> go online, of course, order the bottle of the 14 Chardonnay under Just the Fafoli label. The start start that. the party with that. That's to kind of get you in get the Get the palate warmed up. But order a, a vertical of these wines. Of, uh, not really a vertical, but horizontal. 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 On these Pinots, have some really good friends over. Mm -hmm. And experience what we're experiencing and mm -hmm. talk about it. it it's really a unique, that would be a very unique it's evening. It's really, I agree. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we're getting to do it, but we'll, we'll invite some friends <laughs> over to you do that. You know what? Be better than that, they need to come out and sit well, with yeah, us on this say. deck and yeah. enjoy it with us. Oh, that's, that's really the ultimate the right, right there. Because we, we honestly appreciate the fact that so we don't distribute. None of these wines are distributed anywhere. We love the fact that we get to interact and, and, and meet with yeah. everybody in the country that drinks our wine. Which I is feel that. Just, and, and share a story, share a passion for what we do and what we're about. That's I feel that. So special. I think the stories are so important. So are we going to do the Casim next? Is that what you wanted to? Yeah. So a uh, fun story on, on uh, the, the Casim Pinot Noir. And actually, I'm going to go see them in a few days. So one of the things that we love to do with our wine family is uh, is when when we travel, and, and I, I, I'm the only one yet out of the, the four kids to not have a spouse and children. So I have a little bit more freedom to, to travel on the weekends. And so uh, we'd love to bring our wines on the road to visit our wine family members. And so oh people, yeah. they invite their friends over and we'll do this whole experience for, uh, there, wherever we happen to be. So it was a, a few years back, I was in Edison, New Jersey, kind of north central Jersey, and with a long time wine, wine club family member of ours, Dr. Kassim, and we're sitting in his, his basement, which is a big man cave, where we had done the tasting and, and he had opened up one of his, his library, Christopher Creek wines that he loved so much. And uh, he kept saying, Dominic, I love your wine. I was like, thank you, man. He's like, no, no, I really love your Pinot. I was like, oh, I really appreciate that. <laughs> and he said, no, no, you don't get it, Dom. Like, I love your Pinot so much. Like, we don't want to buy a case of it. We want to buy a vineyard of it. And I was like, what? Why? I was like, do you know anything about farming? Because he's an <laughs> orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. He's like, no, not really. Yeah. And I was like, I guess we could ask around. So it turns oh. out that we had a, this wonderful family friend that had this phenomenal small plot of Pinot Noir on Star Road just outside of uh, just south of Windsor and uh, he was looking to retire so we introduced him to Dr. Kasim 
and Dr. Katzen ends up buying the, his vineyard and his little uh, his, his home there as a, as a getaway place, which we now actually use as a second guest house for Christopher Creek. So they make the deal, and Dr. Katzen calls us the next day, and he said, so I still don't know anything about farming. And we were like, okay, we got you. So we farm all the grapes for him. <laughs> we make all the wine. And, and now uh, th we joke with him for, for just millions of dollars, you two can have your name uh, on, <laughs> on <laughs> one <laughs> bottle. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the reality is that it's, it's wonderful because it's, it's called, it's Cassin Vineyard because that's what it is now. But it all started uh, with, with one of our wine club family in New Jersey being so in love with, with what we did with our single What a great What a compliment story. that is to yeah. you. I mean, that's got to be one of the ultimate compliments is someone yeah. loves your wine so much that they decide that they want to. So it's in it, and 100% of the fruit you know, is goes, to, goes to our wine, and, and we farm it ourselves, and, uh, and it's amazing. It's actually one of our only, <laughs> I guess you would call it distribution accounts in the country is uh, the Yale Club in Manhattan, which oh. was, yeah. which is uh, is very famous in the, in the the alcohol industry because they were one of the only places in America that never ran dry during Prohibition. So oh. when Prohibition uh, was really? when they was going to hit, because their cellar was so deep. They, yeah, they went out and bought all of the alcohol, all of the great wine they could find around New York, and they stacked their cellar, and the cellar lasted all 13 years. And so as long, so the rules in Prohibition were. You could could keep selling until you ran out of wine in your your collection. <laughs> and they never ran. They out. never ran out. And so that's the one they get. So they they get a they get a barrel one barrel from us each year. And so the only way that you can uh, ever find our wine quote unquote in distribution is if you went to Yale yeah. and you oh. go to, yes and well, you go to the Yale Club in Manhattan. And not many people can do that. Yes, so exactly. that's a very limited number. And of limited people. distribution. That was our that was our one deal with Dr. Kasson because he was a he's a very proud Yaley. At, uh, okay. that they get one barrel a year at the Yale Club there. Okay, now I know you're pouring um, the final of these four Pinots at this horizontal tasting that we're doing. So tell us now, because I see that it says the Fapoli family vineyard on this one. <laughs> so uh, you're learning all of the I'd inner be family. If there was a story about inner this, family Meredith. stories here. And that's what this does. That's yeah. right, getting together and enjoying wine. And I'll be honest, we've never secrets. told this story publicly. So you know, wow, we are honored. To, to you heard it first on Major Crush <laughs> yes. season two. So this is this is a Fapoli Vineyard Pinot Noir. It's from the same vineyard as a Chardonnay, and it's actually 17, 18 years later than it should have been. Oh. So this goes way back into kind of family family blackmail stories. So but just a, it's 2017 is the first vintage of this yes. specific yes. wine. And just to clarify. Exactly. Okay. So in 1999, I was between my junior and senior year of high school. Uh, I realized that I had never really done anything rebellious or bad. <laughs> 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 so it's again, this is going that people knew of. Nothing rebellious. I told my mom the same thing. Yeah. So <laughs> I decide that, uh, you know, in order to, to really have a proper last year of high school, you know, last year, <laughs> I needed to do something rebellious. So I decided to throw a party. So uh, co you to coincide with the fact that um, a few months earlier, our family had finally decided to to expand from just making Chardonnay and to and to plant some Pinot, and it's not an easy short process. You've got to prep the land, you've got to prep the dirt. We were to send out kind of soil samples to UC Davis and get everything to be perfect, so that we could have the perfect clone for uh, for our our Pinot Noir that we were going to have for the first time on, on the ranch. And so part of the the process at the time was they wanted the vines to acclimate 
to, to before they got planted. So they, they had, I think it was about a week that we're going to be in our, our walk-in uh, fridge in, uh, in our garage. So this happened to be the week that I decided to have my, my one party in my- Fourth uh, of July party. Fourth of July party. Uh, which Liam, our business partner, was at as well, and it was—it was. I had like an alibi. I was in Tahoe with some friends. It, it wasn't a crazy <laughs> party. Like we had all been elected like senior class council, and we were gonna all get together and setting the stage for becoming mayor. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so we had some people, more people than we realized, show up to what was supposed to be our little class always. council party, as always happens. And I remember some people were were trying to smoke cigarettes. I freaked out about it. So I was like, if you're gonna do that, like it's you know, go in the go outside. Like it's cold. I'm like, well then go in the garage. So they uh, they go in the garage, and we don't we you know we don't think anything of it. And, you know, everything's cleaned up. And I'm a lifeguard at Windsor Waterworks, which was the waterside <laughs> park here way way back in the day for <laughs> for three summers. And I I get I'm sitting there on my you know my lifeguard chair overlooking the pool and the water slides, and I get a radio call saying, hey, there's a uh, You've got an issue. You got a phone call from home. Uh, you know this is the next day. This is the next day, saying there's uh, there's some sort of fire, and and um, you know I, I talked to my manager. I'm like, hey, can I have a few minutes? I'll run home. I figured my little sister had left something on the stove, so I, I you know I you know I get around the curve and finally the, you know, the home ranch comes into view, and there's like ten fire trucks, and the whole place is ablaze. Oh, no. And I realized oh. that that uh, I guess would skin is inclusive whether somebody had knocked over like the the there was a heater in the garage, or if it was from a cigarette or whatever else, but all our entire garage and all our walk-in and all of our Pumanora plants oh. up in flames. So they're gone. Um, so we ended up spending my entire senior year uh, at a hotel uh, near my high school. So See? yes, but and so obviously we, you know, my, my family concentrated on the rebuilding of, of our of our house during that process. So uh, by the by the time ever all that was done. Uh, the, the, uh, we couldn't find the right clones to go with it, and we'd never end up planting Pinot Noir. So fast forward, you know, oh, another wow. 14, 13, 14 years later, we had started making Pinot Noir here, and kind of just to, to show our, our apology to our, our parents and to the home ranch, <laughs> we then have the winery go, and we graft over about an acre of our, of our, our, our premium Poly Chardonnay to Pinot, and this is the, this is the first, oh. first vintage of it, right? Well, yes, yeah. first vintage of our uh, Fapoli Vineyard Pinot Noir, about 17 years later than it should have been. <laughs> That's a great story. It it's worth it's worth worth it, it. worth exactly. the wait. Worth it was the wait. Uh, it was grafted over and farmed uh, by Charlie Chenoweth, who was one of the early oh, farming partners uh, of uh, of Costa Brown as well, and yeah. okay. and um, makes some of the most world class growers in, in of, of Pinot. Crazy uh, guy. Still, still works oh, with uh, with Cirque and Michael Brown's new label as yep. well, and who's actually a partner or a couple doors down from this vineyard now, the oh, new place on Slusser Road. So, oh. uh, yeah, that'll have to be a future major crush. You can go do that one as well. That, yeah. Yeah. that was a fun That's full circle cool. for us because uh, Dan Costa and Mike Brown were really kind of mentors for us and, mm -hmm. and role models when we started, and now they become great friends. And the fact oh, that good. Michael Brown is now our new neighbor on our home ranch, uh, where we have our new tasting room opening up soon for Fapoli. Um, they had a similar backstory too, where they both came from hospitality and, yeah. and, and you know learned about the wines and kind of hustled, and it was a passion for them early on. And that brings me to a question because I think we were talking about this driving up, and we've been fortunate enough to be part of going to some winemaker lunches and that. As being winemakers, and you go to lunches or you have friends, and do you get around and hang out and talk about 
not just drink the wine, but talk about what worked, what didn't work, what are you expecting of this year? Do you do you kind of hang out and do that as winemakers with the people that are friends, or is that? Oh, very much so. That's a huge part of it, and especially among all the the, the families that are, are that are left and still doing this, we're super close, and it's been fun. Lou's been hanging out with us yeah. recently at some of these things, and <laughs> been amazing. And uh, and we're. The reality is we all realize nobody drinks the same bottle of wine every night and nobody mm. comes to wine country to just try one winery mm -hmm. and so we're constantly you know sharing ideas and resources and, and tips and each other's yeah. wine and obviously the people who come visit us you know we're like oh if you like this one you're gonna go try our yeah. neighbor down the street who does something similar yeah. or if you want to try something totally different you know go down to over to dry creek and, and try our right. other friend so we're constantly sharing sharing everything. And it's got to be, I feel, you have that kind of like, what's good for us is good for everyone. Or what's good for someone else is good for us. Like, it's all about, like you said even earlier, people just coming to visit wine country is exactly. good for yeah. everyone it's, it's, involved. It's definitely just the kind of the community feel and, and, uh -huh. and the idea here. All right, so before you start pouring us some of your Italian varietals here, let's uh, let's talk Italy because we know you've got some exciting stuff going on you in there. You can't be with the Fapoli brothers without talking about Italy. Exactly, and we know, you know, I'd asked the question earlier, are there anything new varietals on the horizon that we might see coming out of here that are Ita uh, Italian varietals? So, so yes, from both, uh, both here and actually from Italy. So. You, you're, when you come out and visit us and you get to know my brother and I, you'll see the two different sides of, of the coin. We complement each other really well. I come up with all these crazy ideas and then my brother figures out how to, how to do them. How to do it, yeah. yeah. One, of, one of the craziest, and it's, it's turned out to be such a, a wonderful thing for, for everybody here and, and for all of our, our customers and, and our family, was that our, our area, the Valtellina, my brother and I grew up spending our, our summers with our grandparents in our little village. It's a village of about 600 people that's right in the heart of the Valtellina. It's about 10 minutes from the Swiss border, but it's one of the widest valleys uh, coming from Central Europe to Italy. So because of that, pretty much every invading army for thousands of years yeah. marched through our valley. So about 2,000 years ago at the height of the Roman Empire, the Romans realized to protect the, the Italian peninsula, they had to protect our valley, so they, they found one of the pinnacle points and they built a fortress there. Mm. And a thousand years ago, in, you know, the ruling family in Milan realized the same thing, and they built this beautiful uh, stone castle that's been there ever since. So it's been sitting kind of on the, the precipice over, overlooking our valley, uh, but above our village. So through a, a series of <laughs> unfortunate decisions, the uh, the owner of the castle, they call him the Castellano, the Lord and Lady in Italian of the castle, uh, decided to invest in racehorses, and because oh. of that, uh, he had had to put up his castle, our village's castle, for sale for only I think it was the second time in 900 years. So racehorse, because he decided that racehorses were a good financial investment and wasn't the best idea. <laughs> so we were in in no absolutely no financial situation to be <laughs> looking at buying a medieval thousand-year-old <laughs> castle, but a combination of uh, too much wine and some, some fun pressure by our that cousins over works. there. And then all it of a sounds sudden, amazing. about three years ago, there was a big drop in the, the, the dollar to euro currency and everything got 20% cheaper. And I ended up talking to them um, uh, over some wine and, and said, hey, you know, thinking about what we could do for charity and for our customers. So I threw out this crazy offer to them, without, honestly, without really even talking to the rest of the family. 
and mm, uh, crazy idea. And they figure out how it they works. agreed the next morning, and so we had this this de this deal. And I went to my brother and said, "Great news! Uh, I have a wonderful <laughs> wonderful deal for us on a thousand year old medieval castle over our village." And then my brother didn't really even miss a beat. Said, "All right, you know our, our wine family will love it. It'll be great for charity." And the, the the best part of the story, though, is exactly, <laughs> it's the last privately owned castle in the region. It's the only one that you can sleep in. It's the only one that's never been open to the public. So half the weeks a year we dedicate to our customers. It's kind of like the ultimate frequent flyer program for, wi for wine. So for every bottle that people drink a lifetime at our winery, they earn free nights in the castle. And it's beautiful. It's, we call it, we joke about it being a starter castle, but from the bottom suite to the top of the tower, seven stories. So it's a pretty big castle. So how many... So it's got six, five, six bedrooms. Um, and three bedrooms and three bathrooms is what I like to say. But well, there's a tower that's that's six stories up. I heard the kids stay up there. Or yeah. So. yeah, the kids so actually. There's no bathrooms. Like there's one bathroom in the tower, but okay. but you have to walk through other bedrooms in the middle of the night to. And there's <laughs> to a dungeon, <laughs> like things that you would expect in a castle. And yeah. in, in a hot tub. In a hot tub and outdoor. Well, yeah, showers. I expected a, that. Yeah, we we <laughs> upgraded quite a few things. How, how does it work? How many bottles of wine do you have to purchase to be able to stay so, there? So we, tra <laughs> we, we track it. So and you don't really have to tell no, me that. No, the fun part about it is that it literally it's, it correlates. We've already had some of our, our longtime uh, lovers of our wine joke about the fact that, you know, when they're d debating whether or not they should open that third or fourth bottle of the evening, they're like, ah, it's two more hours in the castle. So they <laughs> pop the bottle. Two more hours <laughs> in the castle. <laughs> you know, as they correlate their, their wine, their wine to their, the time in the castle. And but the, the the really special thing for us is the other half of the weeks a year, uh, we've dedicated to charity. That's and fantastic. we didn't realize what a unique auction item this would be. So the way it works is we put it out to all of our, our wine family members, our wine club members around the country. And if they have a charity that's near and dear to their heart, they do they have these big, uh, these galas that we've all been to where they mm -hmm. auction yeah. off live auctions. So uh, we'll donate a six-night stay and a two-night stay here with it, and oh we didn't realize how unique it was. And so the average six-night stay has been going for between forty and a hundred thousand dollars. Fabulous! So we've raised more than two million dollars from amazing. just donating uh, weeks at the castle and then the, the first two years that we've so all kinds of charities around the country. Yeah, cystic fibrosis like, I mean and children's charities and and all kinds of things for for everything you can think of the Boys and Girls Club, uh, the the YMCA. That we've been able to really make I mean, impact in the, in, the in the tune of millions of dollars for something that also for us was amazing because we got to preserve kind of uh, you know the, the landmark in our in our in our yeah. village. And when people go and stay there, they love it because the villagers get it. Like everybody, there are cousins, and so they're so <laughs> welcoming. Like they 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 know that they're yeah. friends of the Fapolis. And yeah. so when when you walk, you literally can you you walk out your the castle door, you walk into down into the village, and you order your cappuccino. And everyone is just so welcoming to you. So it's the ultimate trip to Italy. And we get to share that over and over and over. And so for us, it's great. And and the bonus tell of that is we, you know, there's vines on the property. So we're actually producing wine okay. in Italy as well for the last two vintages. Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo, mm -hmm. so, okay. which we're going to try next. So... Um, but does well, this come uh, from... This, come, is this, this from is from Sonoma County, yes. Yeah, so, so both. So the fun part about this is that we... Uh, we produced our first Nebbiolo in California in 2015 from a small vineyard in Sonoma Valley that uh, the owner was an old friend of our grandfather's. It all circles back. And, um, and now we, and, and uh, when the wine advocate uh, rated it, which we normally don't do ratings, it got one of the highest scores in history for a Northern California Nebbiolo. Um, and so we realized that our, Mike, our winemaker, Mike Brunson, had a crazy natural talent with Nebbiolo. 
So we brought them over with us uh, two years ago and we produced our first vintage over there. So now we are producing oh. Nebbiolo both here in California in Sonoma County and in Italy. Would you bring the Nebbiolo from Italy over here to share? Yes. Yes. Okay. This, the uh, the plan year. is that uh, some of it's going to be part of our one of our wine cl club releases, and then we did a reserve uh, Sforzato style that we mentioned last time, mm -hmm. where we dried out some of the grapes. Yeah. And um, did a little bit more extended oak aging, and uh, oh. we're going to have a very limited amount that we won't make enough for everybody, but anybody who wants it can come and what get some allocation. Wh how? What's the first vintage of that one? That was a twenty sixteen, I think. Okay. Yeah. I think seven, 16, 17. What would you no, say? No, 17 maybe. Yes. 17, yeah. The so 15 was the first year, and last time you guys were here, you mm -hmm. tried the 15, uh -huh. even though it was sold out. They corvined a little bit from our library. Mm -hmm. um, we just started pouring the 16, which is in your glass right now. Mm -hmm. uh, just Huge. Last week, mm -hmm. actually. Delicious. Yeah. So this is such a unique opportunity to talk a little bit more about Nebbiolo, just because you have the experience of not only are you making it here in California, in Northern California, you're also making it in Italy. So I think it would be really cool for people just a little bit, obviously Terrar comes into that. What are some of the differences between the one you're making in Italy and the one you're making here? And on that, often Nebbiolo is meant to be aged. The difference is how that influences California versus Italian style. Yes. Yeah, so we. The main difference is we have much more sun here in, in California, and uh, we use much more oak, French oak specifically. Okay. Um, okay. They kind of make things in a more austere style over there. And Although there is a style that we mentioned before, the Sforzato, which is similar to the Amarone style, where they mm -hmm. uh, pick the grapes and then they dry them out for a month or more. And then um, there's one particular wine that we're a huge fan of over there. They call the Cinque Stelle from uh, wow. you know, Negri, and we made our, our wines with that winery. Uh, is that they do some French and American, um, actually, oak barrels. In, uh, in Italy. In Italy, yes, okay. which is uh, definitely an, an outlier and something unique. And uh -huh. Yeah, that's called the new generation, isn't it? Yeah. But, but for the most part, it's for years, and it's been kind of tongue-in-cheek and whatever else, but when we brought our wines over, some of our cousins have, have, have looked at the bottles and tasted the wines and said, oh, your alcohol is too high, and there's too much wood on this. This is not a wine for the meal, and, mm -hmm. like, dude, Taste it, man. It's it's still <laughs> it's give very, it a chance. It's Just very balanced, and it, it, you'll you be surprised at how how well it goes. So, uh, everything we do, funny we're gonna said we're gonna allow the, the vineyards and, and the grapes to express themselves, but we try to create balance. So, even if the alcohol is gonna be a little bit higher, or you know, we have a certain amount of of, of oak barrel aging, mm -hmm. it's all about the balance and creating mm -hmm. something that is definitely gonna pair with food, but you can enjoy it by itself and is enough uh, bright fruit to enjoy early on if you want to decant it. Yeah. But also, if you want to lay it down for ten years or more, you can do that as well. And Which is and so for for us too. It's 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 kind of pushing towards uh, what what the new next generation idea and style of, of the wine is, and and it's great. We talked about the relationships that we have here, but in Italy, it's the same way. I mean, mm -hmm. We grew up over there. And there's a lot of arguments that um, our area, uh, the Valtellina, which is why we love to have people here and over there, is kind of the the new big thing for a number of reasons and. The next generation's kind of getting it, and our consulting winemaker over there is is our age, and he's young, and he's got these new ideas. And I was having a conversation conversation last year with Gaia Gaia, uh, the daughter of Angelo Gaia. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we, yeah. once again, it's like the next generation. Yeah. Her father was one of the first ones to use oak barrels. Um, I uh, I saw a YouTube with her. Uh, she's really good. Yeah, she's 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 phenomenal. Very very. Uh, she's you know kind of the leader of of the next generation over there. And what her family is doing, it's something that we're kind of pushing towards, 
kind of funny, but with, with the, uh, the, the idea of climate change um, changing literally the growing conditions um, uh, everywhere in the world, the Gaia family is starting to, to invest and plant more vineyards up higher up in the mountains and mm. where traditionally be a little bit cooler, cooler. and now mm -hmm. you start getting all these these lush flavors so kind of historically our uh our valley some people thought was you know maybe a degree or two too cool for to really get those rich flavors mm -hmm. and that's changed that's which is uh and again it's one of those crazy side effects that most people don't think about with with uh, with climate with global warming mm -hmm. is that our area now is becoming kind of a perfect area for really deeper, rich nebbiolos. And mm -hmm. so for us, when you come visit us, you'll this later this year, you'll just to try our deep, rich nebbiolo from, from mm -hmm. Sonoma County, but also our deep, rich nebbiolo from the Valtalina. That's really cool. And it's, like so you're saying, this is, I can drink this right now. It's gonna be great, especially with some food, but I can see how it's got the structure, the tannin structure in there and probably the acid, where in 10 years, this is, this is gonna be also amazing and if you want to visit us in italy as well not only will you get to try our wines but we can set you up with some of the small family producers and I, well, i'm not even joking you guys need to come over and do, do a major crush in, uh, in the Baltolina as well do, okay yeah. let's <laughs> do the next let's do the next podcast of major crush we'll do it at Sign the castle that. you can see how okay. the wl pairs, pairs with uh with, 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 with we'll, we'll, uh raw donkey yeah we'll, we'll, i don't think yeah i'll <laughs> skip the raw donkey but we'll do the wine you guys can't hear but meredith and i are pumping fists right now yeah we're like may We'll drive to the Piedmonte. We'll hit up, hit up the Gaia family, and, and uh, we'll do Don't some comparison. Don't think we're kidding here. No, we're, 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 we're not kidding. Yeah, either. good. I'm glad. You know, on this on this Nebbiola, I want to say, it. If you study Nebbiola, mm -hmm. if you watch videos on it, you read about it, it really talks a lot about how tannic it is, how high mm -hmm. tannins okay. it is, and high acid. And right? high acid. <laughs> this expresses both of those mm -hmm. incredibly. You, yeah. So my question would be. What would you guys pair with that? Oh, <laughs> putting mean, you on the spot. I want to have a steak. I mean, anything. Yeah, you could like definitely a, have a steak, steak with frites, it. More I like a little spicy, thinner. Pasta. <laughs> I, I, I feel like these are all very versatile wines. and a risotto. And but what we grew up eating them with polenta terrania or, or, or risotto, because those are the, the things that our area is known more for rice and polenta than it is, is pasta. Mm. So this, I'll is do that. this is a, exactly this is a great one. A so lot of rice, a lot of buckwheat flour, and yeah, mm -hmm. the buckwheat flour. The, we have a dish called pizzolcuri, which doesn't really exist in America, but it's this beautiful, rich mountain food that it's buckwheat flour that's grown up on on top of our mountains, and then a, a combination of everything else delicious. So it's garlic, butter, like cheat tons of different cheese, cabbages, cabbages and, things, yeah. and, and no it, meat. What is it like a stew or something? No, no, no. It's it's a it's a buckwheat pasta with like. Everything oh. delicious in it. If it's we come to the castle for this podcast, can yes. we, yes. we yes. experience just cuts this? through it. So it's just, it's fun. And, and it's got almost no calories with all that. <laughs> oh, <cheese. right. laughs> yeah. No, I'm not, exactly. yeah, we're not worried about no. that at all. What do they Everything put on it? Do they put any sauce on it? No, it's, it's well, the sauce what is what it is. is in there. So it's oh. the, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a kind of the hearty, hearty vegetables of, uh, oh, you know, de definitely with the cabbage in it. And sometimes a little bit of potatoes and things. It's mountain food. That's. So you don't have to do the raw donkey meat. You can have some. Yeah. Okay, good. If I'll I can skip instead. the raw and do that. I know I'm Sonia's good. excited about the raw donkey <laughs> meat because we were talking about it the other we day. We grew up eating a lot of rabbit too. So as I'm looking out in the vineyard, I keep seeing the jackrabbits okay, run through I'm the vineyard. Okay, so the rabbit No, no rabbits for you there. I, yeah. See, I don't need any animal on my plate. I'm <laughs> no, going for the cheese to. and I'm the cabbage and the more for Lou. So one of our favorite, one of our favorite restaurants, I've been telling all these fun stories, but it's down at the gym. They have, they 
they know now because we bring so many of our friends over there. That they they created an English menu. And it's phenomenal local food, and they didn't know how to translate the <laughs> the, the donkey dish. So it's <laughs> so literally the dish is the main course is stewed ass. <laughs> so yes, exactly. Like which wine would you like to pair with your stewed ass? Oh, that's fantastic. And actually, that particular restaurant is the only restaurant that actually carries our Nebbiolo yeah, from California. They actually, as well. Really? They love to go with the stewed they, ass. Uh, sure. Exactly. If you would like a nice Christopher Creek. Nebbiolo with your stewed ass. That's the only place in the world that you can do that. I kind of just want to have the opportunity to say that. Can I we have We went a really different ass? direction this, this time last time. But. What are you pairing today with the stewed ass? Yeah. Oh, the Christopher Creek Nebbiolo from California. And so the Dolcetto uh, that we've been making since 2016 and then uh, the Barbera, which we started making in 2018, both of those are kind of a tribute to uh, our great-grandmother, our, our grandfather's mother, who our great-grandfather met in San Francisco um, in probably the early 1900s, late, yeah, the early 1900s, I guess. Uh, she was from Piemonte, and so okay. we do the Dolcetto and the Barbera as a tribute to our great-grandmother. So, so it's, yes. it's part of it, too, is it was a fun thing to, as a nod to our father. Uh, and our, our, once again, being Italian, we're very, very close with our family. And generally, people talk about that first wine that always really kind of sets you on the course of loving wine. And yes. our, our father always told us as, as growing up that his first wine, when he was, I think, 10 or 12 years old, was a Dolcetto di Alba. And yeah. that, was, that was the first wine that he loved. And so when, when my brother and I got a chance to... To, uh, we found some amazing uh, little grapes in a small vineyard up in Mendocino County. We right, knew that right at the base of the Mayacamas. We knew that our perfect. We, we knew that our father would love the it. The base was, of the mountains. Yeah, yeah. Piedmont. Yeah. yeah, it would be a perfect opportunity for us to make something that you now that that I think our, all of our our guests would love, but uh, our father would get a big kick out of as well. Yeah. All right, so we're bringing it back here to uh, Russian River here. And gonna f wrap up with this last wine you're getting ready to pour us. So share, share a little bit about this. So before we took over, this was the most unique wi wine at this winery, and it wasn't ready last time you guys visited uh, a couple months ago. And so um, this is a very unique blend of uh, Petit Syrah and Zinfandel. The Petit Syrah is from the vineyard here, planted in 1972. Interesting. And blend. the Zinfandel is from our uh, next door neighbor. Uh, right, you can see the the vineyard behind you. Uh, our winemaker here, bef much before we took over in the late 90s, was a Frenchman named Sebastian. And um, I ran into him a few years back and asked him what the real story was because we heard a lot of different stories about uh, how this wine came to be. He said that um, during harvest and crush, he was having uh, a few glasses of wine too many at, at, <laughs> at lunch and uh, was uh, moving some barrels and, and bins around um, after lunch with the forklift and had a little accident and cracked one of the bins of, uh, of, of Petit Syrah half of it spilled down the drain to salvage it he dumped it on to what he thought was more petit sirah was actually zinfandel uh -huh. and that first year he had about enough for uh for two barrels is about a 50 50 blend so being the frenchman he was or is he called it du barrique which is french for two barrels uh -huh. people loved it so much uh, that he continued to make it every year so now it's evolved into two barrels of each uh we submitted this to robert parker a couple of years ago we got 93 94 points and it's been kind of a, a cult wine. So we make less than 100 cases of this wine every year, um, but the end result is something that's very unique. Because I'm going to say, I can't say you 
you often see Zinfandel and Petite Syrah blended. So I have to say, my first question would have been like, why did you pick this blend? But that was funny. That, <laughs> an, that <laughs> answers there, it. There is now, actually, and that's it. You know, I think imitation is the greatest form of flattery, as, as yeah. some people say, but there uh, are good friends that Bacigalupis have a wine called the Fondare, and that was. Uh, it's the same same blend as this. Mm. Is it? And, they, and then that's honestly them trying it. And then also... Um, John Visley makes one too. John Visley, Mazzocco makes one. Not Mazzocco, um, on West Side Road, the Wilson property. Uh, Wilson. No. No, no Wilson. <laughs> uh, Matrix. Matrix. Yeah. Matrix oh, Matrix, yeah. Oh, yes. yes. So they, they all do petites rods and blends that were they are they homage to this, this wine. Because we've been making since the 90s. So I'm 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 gonna imagine it might vary year to year, but what's about the the? It's a fifty fifty blend. It's a, exactly. Our, it's a winemaker selection. Of the oh, so yeah. okay, literally. This and is it's, unbelievable. It's one hundred percent French oak, uh, and it's it's a wine that could last for a long time. I'm just gonna say one word, and I mean it like sincerely, delicious. Delicious, much fuller body than anything we've tried. Big time. Yeah. It's a big, bold wine. We got two big wine. grapes in there, Petite Syrah yeah, big, and Zinfandel. Wine. Are you kidding? But this this sells out pretty quickly, as yeah. you might imagine. And um, mm. this, you know, it's only I, available certain times of year. And maybe Delicious. I'm wrong in saying this, but you know, we talked a little bit about this in one of our podcasts. People who just love Napa Valley Cab. If you love Napa Valley Cab, but you want to explore point. something. This might be a great oh. wine to move to because this is big and bold with some of those tannins and the fruit flavors. This is... Uh, and I'm going to spell it for you guys. D-E-U-X, D-E-U-X-D-B-A-R-R-I-Q-U-E-S. We could also put a picture of that on our, yes. on yeah. our podcast with notes. Two barrels. So, so the, the, the fun part about it is that you kind of need to, to come to us when it's available because it's only <laughs> available a, sh a short amount of time. We don't really normally tell people when it's oh. going to come out. Cause well, it's Meredith and I might uh, <laughs> take care of this vintage. So traditionally, it's, you know, two Ooh. barrels of each. So after kind of filtering everything else, we oh end up God. with about 88 cases. Of those 88 cases, my brother and I and family drink about eight to ten of them. Very little. Yes, for for the the, oh the rest of it. So it's goodness, a, this is delicious. This was a great wine to end on. This is the wine we're ending on here in Russian River, but we're going to be meeting you all over in Italy, I believe. So I think the second week of May, be, be looking for the uh, Italian version of Major Crush. Major Crush yeah. Italy. It's going to be fun. We're looking forward to hosting you guys over there, and we're looking forward to hosting all of your listeners, both here at Christopher Creek and, and, and Tripoli, and then also in Italy as well. No, this and has been awesome, guys. Thank you so we, much for coming out. We thank you so much. I, I just Please the come whole out and experience. visit Christopher Creek. They give you the whole experience, and that's what I love. You get you get the wine, you get the hospitality, the food, the view. This is what wine country is all about. Oh. Cheers. Thank Salute. you all for you. Salute. Getting ready for Italy. Salute. <laughs>
our main focus is encouraging our listeners to stay safe and connected to each other through learning and crushing on all things wine. Those of us who live in the wine country have had a lot of recent experiences around life-altering changes in the form of wildfires. So we've included a short bonus episode where Dominic Vapoli, who just so happens to be the mayor of the wine country town of Windsor, describes what it was like to face that reality and how it takes people like you to help get things going again. We know the advice given in this bonus episode for rebuilding after things get knocked off course will be the same advice we can give for getting things back to normal once the pandemic is finally behind us. So we hope this heartfelt bonus episode will inspire you and remind you of how connected we all are, no matter what. Until next time.